Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things. After these things. Now, friends, you have to understand what these things were to understand what God is about to say or the importance of it. And this is chapter 15. In chapter 12, God speaks to Abram in the most powerful, powerful way, gives him the most incredible prophetic promise, talks about him being a father of a nation and all sorts of glorious stuff. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty amazing. And then in chapter 14, Abram is actually going out on conquest and and he, and he conquers several different kings and he comes back with all the wealth and the booty and he becomes a very wealthy man so that's pretty cool Uh, and then afterwards uh, uh, later on in chapter 14 he has another prophetic encounter when this time with uh, Melchizedek the priest of the most high God meets with him and all you get for the previous three chapters to this statement is amazing stuff it's promise it's prophetic it's empowerment it's conquest it's success it's wealth I mean, it is just one great ride. So that's what the context. After these incredible things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, and this is what he said. Now, don't be afraid. Don't get anxious, Abram. I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. Well, friends, why on earth would Abram need to be reassured about that? Uh, You know, after three chapters of nothing but success and conquest and incredible prophetic visitations, why would anybody need to be reassured? Why would anybody get anxious? Well, the next verse really does tell us. Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house, a servant born in my house, is to be my heir. In other words, what he's saying is, the promise, the promise you gave me personally in chapter 12, that's not coming to pass. Now, 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 quite frankly, you've blessed me. You're my, heaps and heaps of stuff has come to pass, and I'm grateful for it. It's been utterly amazing. But you know that promise, the original promise, the original commission, it doesn't seem to be any closer right now. And maybe I should just settle. You see the words of Abraham? The, the son of Eliezer is going to be my heir. So what's he saying? He's saying, he's saying I'm willing to settle for this. He's saying, maybe, you know, I guess I've just got to adjust to the fact that, 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 that you've given me so much, you've done so much for me, and I shouldn't be ungrateful, and I'll just settle for what I've got. And God comes right back into the middle of that and in verse Ah, where is it? Verse whatever comes after three. I thought I should know that, shouldn't we? Verse four, okay. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, your own loins, shall be your heir. He directly speaks into the situation. And then he brought Abram outside and he said, Now you look towards heaven and you count those stars if you're able to number them. And he said, So shall you your 
descendants be. And in Hebrew, it, the emphasis on the word your. So shall your descendants be. Out of your loins, out of your grace, your anointing is going to bear fruit. Incredible fruit. Extravagant fruit. What's he saying? He's saying it's going to be the fruit of your loins. I'm not going back on my word. I'm not diluting what I said to you. I don't want you to settle for Eliezer's son. I, I, I don't want you to settle for all that I've done for you. I told you in the beginning what I was going to do and I am still holding to the original commission, the original promise that I gave you in the beginning. And you know what? God did bring it to pass. Everything God said to him in the beginning came to pass. Abram became a man with a staggering inheritance. He became the patriarch of all those who would have faith. He became the father of a nation under God, the nation of Israel. I mean, it's staggering. And so my first point, therefore, this morning is this. The first point is this. The original promise is still alive. The original promise is still alive. And I feel so quickened in this right in this moment that some of you could go out of this building right now and hear nothing else but that and you would have heard the word of the Lord for you this morning. The original promise is still alive. But you don't know how many years it have been. I don't have to. You don't know what kind of seasons I've been through. I don't have to. You don't know the kind of contradictions I've been through. I don't have to. You don't know the tragedy. I don't have to. You don't know my personal failure. You don't know how, how I've mucked it up. I don't have to. I know one thing. My father is a covenant-keeping God. And I tell you now, the original commission, the original dream is still very much alive. You can't kill a word from God. You can walk away from it. You can postpone it, but you can't kill it. Can you say amen? The second point, bit of a... Amazing point, really, because I'd never asked myself this question ever before, but when I read this story, I did. When you see that all that Abraham, Abraham originally, oh, sorry, eventually became, father of a nation, amazing stuff. Is it possible that it was all intended for someone else? But that person defaulted, which meant that Abraham was able to pick it up. Well, Genesis chapter 11, if you want, will. And we'll find that's exactly what took place. In Genesis chapter 11, you have the story of a man named Terah, who was Abram's father. Very, very interesting. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 31, and Terah took his son, Abram, and his grandson, Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from the Ur, the Chaldeans, to the go to the land of Canaan. That's pretty clear. Isn't that clear? Is it? Get out of the Ur of the Chaldeans, what? To go into the land of Canaan. But they came to Haran. The land of his grandson's father, his son-in-law. 
And they came to Haran and dwelt there, so the days of Terah were 205 years eventually, and Terah died in Haran. And so what do we find? We find that the original commission to get out of the Ur of the Chaldeans and there to possess the land of Canaan was actually given to Abram's father, Terah. He could have had it all. He could have been the father of a nation. He could have been the father of faithful. But you know what? He got halfway. He got as far as Haran and he got sidetracked. He got sabotaged at Haran. And what we see right now is that what one generation failed to possess because they got sidetracked at Haran, God has to raise up another generation who, in order not to repeat that failure, have to be willing to leave what the previous generation were willing to settle for. If you go to Genesis chapter 12, which is after the... Genesis 12, verse 1, which is after the death of Terah, and then now the Lord begins to speak to his son, Abram. Next generation. And the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. So, friends, what I want you to see in the next few minutes is that in order not to fail the commission, like Terah did, Abram had to be willing to leave three areas that Terah wasn't wasn't willing to. Your country, your family, and your father's house. Now, just before you misunderstand it, the word family there is the Hebrew word moladet, and it means lineage, kindred, wider clan. It's not talking about your sister, your brother, your mother, your father. It's talking about a wider clan uh, connection relatives-wise. Okay. What we see here is three progressive degrees of sacrifice. Degrees of cost. You have leaving your country. That's, that's the first level of sacrifice. Family or kindred, more uh, uh, clan, it says here. Okay, well, that, but nevertheless, that is a greater degree of sacrifice than leaving one's country. But then it gets down to the father's house, and that's like top shelf sacrifice and cost factors in there. What about Terah? What happened with him? Well, he was willing to get out of the Ur of the Chaldeans in order to go. So he was willing for the first level of sacrifice. He was willing for the first level of cost. Why? Because he was willing to get up out of his country and go in obedience. But friends, that's where it stopped. You see, the next level to clan, wider relatives and stuff, he wasn't willing to deal with that. How do I know that? Well, because the name of the place was Haran. And the fact of the matter is that Terah named his son Haran. And his other son, Nahor, his father-in-law was called Haran. And if you go through it, you've got Harans all over the place. Okay, so, so, so they not only live in the place, they're naming the kids the place, their relatives are named Haran, and it's all one big, wonderful Haran thing together. And together they ran Haran. All right? And so when God says now, get up out of that, Terah says, well, leave my country is one thing. Leave them this. You've got to be joking. One level of sacrifice 
too many for him. And so the word of the Lord comes a second time, and this time to his son. Friends, the significance is that this word Haran in the Hebrew, literally translated, is the word for dry, parched, burnt. And for Terah, living in that place for sentimental reasons, eventually dried up his faith and vision. He lost all sight of the original commission and he adapted and eventually he forgot all about possessing the land of Canaan. Friends, he started out so well. But he settled in the wrong spot. He got sidetracked at Haran. What was supposed to be a transition became a destination. What was supposed to be a stepping stone became a resting place. A pit stop became a dwelling place. Friends, he lost his inheritance because he failed to keep going. Because of human sentimental ties associated with it, but also because it was a place of dryness. Well, friends, I, I really want you to hear what I'm actually saying right here. Because that place of dryness Dwelling in that place spiritually of dryness dried up all of his oil and water. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the presence of God. I'm talking about the joy of the Lord. I'm talking about the flow of the anointing. It all just dried up in that place. And he lost his capacity to see clearly and to move forward clearly. And he began to listen to the negativity and the junk around him. And he began to be affected by it. And before long, if you dwell in Haran long enough, you start believing the lie as if the lie was the truth. Friends, you don't have to touch a cigarette to smell a smoke. You just have to... Step into a room full of people smelling smoke. Can I just say this to you? <laughs> Stuff coming out in the second service didn't come out in the first. Never linger at Haran. Never linger in a dry and negative place. Either internally within yourself or the friends you keep or the conversations you allow. I'm telling you now, if you allow yourself to dwell in an environment of Haran, you will eventually die in Haran. It will shrivel up your faith and distort your capacity to hear clearly. Never. Listen, we all need time out from every now and again. We all need to take a breather. We all need to rest a while sometimes in our lives. It's a godly thing to do. But I am telling you this, when you take time out, make sure, spiritually to replenish or whatever it is, make sure you don't do it at Haran. If you have to take time out or you, you need a breather, that's okay. But make sure you do it in an environment and with people that are full of faith, that are full of anticipation, who will water your soul, who will anoint your spirit, who will empower you for the days that lie ahead. You need to come out of a transition empowered by God, believing for the tomorrow not anchored into some negative, twisted, tormented idea about yesterday's mistakes. Sorry, that came out a little bit fierce. Let's have a look. Go on, move on, Davy. That's good. Father's house. 
The word house there is an interesting one. Because it says here in the Hebrew language the word bayetz. And it can have both a positive and a negative application. The positive application literally translated is that which has been built, a place of security and abiding. But the exact same word can be applied negatively. And do you know what the negative application is? A prison. Same word. The essential thought is that if something is being built with the thought of one staying within those four walls, a place of security, yes, but a place of confinement and a place of restriction. And Father's word was, get out of that. Get out of that frame of mind. Get out of that way of thinking. Don't let those four walls get in on you. See, what does Hayran represent for you this morning, sitting right there now, right now? What, what does it mean for you? I'll tell you what it means. It's this question. What are you willing to settle for? What are you willing to f- settle for? Apply it to your personal life for a moment. What are you willing to settle for? Maybe, maybe in your, in your uh, pursuit of a great marriage. What are you willing to settle for? Uh, uh, an acceptable place? Of mediocrity? Well, that's Hayran. Hey, Margaret and I have been married now, what? It's 423 years. And, and 44, actually. Okay. But I'll tell you what, every year can get better and better and better and better. Why? Because we've got a hunger to make it better and better and better. And I, can, I, just, I just imagine us both at 98 years of age, you know, <laughs> can't cover every Sunday. I tell you, it'll be even better. It'll be even better. They'll need to give me tranquilizers. Glory. <laughs> what about in your pursuit of divine health? Have you just accepted, well, everybody has something. You've just got to settle for something. No, that's Haran. What about a pursuit of a God-given call or mission? Have you accepted a place of spiritual contentment? You know, a measure of fruitfulness that is really, uh, yeah, I've got some fruit. uh, Or have you settled for something other than what God called you actually to do? That's Haran. What about the miraculous, the impossible dream? Well, what about the, the sheer supernatural impossible thing that God breathed into your spirit one day? And you know, wow, that's unbelievable. Yeah. Hey, 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 that might not have been your illusion of grandeur. That just might have been the Holy Ghost. He's actually into this impossible stuff. He actually loves great impossibilities. Why? Because he can prove he's God. Oh, I thank God for this church. I don't mean to be anything, but uh, you go into some churches and, and you know, it's, it's lovely and everybody's having a wonderful little hoot and any Pentecostal club meeting and then it's fine. 
but they have some of their meetings to decide what they can do and what they can't do. And you can just imagine the, you can just imagine the King of Kings and the Lord of Glory. He's standing outside the door and he's knocking and he's saying, I got an idea, I got an idea. And, and stop, stop it, will you stop it? We know what the budget says, we know what we can do and we know what we can't do. We don't want to be tormented with all these faith kind of ideas because we know what we're capable of. And Jesus says, but actually I can do some stuff too. (laughs) Oh, friends, don't live life limited to what you can do. That's purgatory. If I live life to the limits of what I can do physically, I wouldn't even be here. I wouldn't even be here. The doctors write me off like parrots. Gone all very silent, and I'm tired. The time's clicking on. Okay, I want to give you six enticements to settle at Haran. Because really, why would God-fearing, great, good, faithful people actually ever consider stopping at Haran if it's such a place? Well, they do by their thousands, and here's why. Number one. I've already paid enough price. In other words, the cost is just too great. I've done my bit for goodness sakes. And you know what? When you start talking like that, that tells me you've lost your sense of privilege. What cost is too great when you consider the one he made? Number two is logical. The facts line up. Or three... It's reasonable. I mean, I have a measure of fruit where I am. I'm contented with that. It's a reasonable place to settle. Yuck. Number four, it offers human security. That's another reason we settle at Haran. Number five, this is a biggie. Well, it just doesn't demand of me continuing to live on that scary faith initiative edge. I mean, I'm sick and tired of always stepping out of the boat, living life on the edge of a scary limb. I mean, what about just living normally for a while? Oh, God deliver us from normal. God, look, I tell you, if you, I'm the peaceable, loving man, but if you want to just touch the Irish for a second and resurrect it, you try to get, you, all you've got to do is say these words. For goodness sakes, David, be a little more reasonable. Oh, I manifest when someone says that. Why? Because I refuse to live a reasonable life. I'm not called to live a reasonable life, and neither are you. Do you think he's reasonable? There's nothing reasonable about the God I serve. He's unreasonable. He's unreasonable in his love. He's unreasonable in his grace. He's unreasonable in his forgiveness. He's unreasonable in his power. He's unreasonable in his creative ability to do anything in this cosmos. The word reasonable only means to be bound by reason. I refuse. Can you say amen? And I'd better work towards the eventual possibility of a probable close. I'm glad you got that. But what were, friends, listen to me. What if, the, what if the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now, where you're sitting right now, and I know he is, many of you. Well, what if he's saying right now, actually, this is pretty relevant for you. 
Actually, I think that where you are is something less than the ultimate of what God actually called you to be and to do. I don't know how this happened, but I kind of got settled here and got comfortable, and now I'm getting provoked. That's good, people. That's not negative. Well, but maybe it's too late. No, 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 it's not too late. It's never too late. That's the whole beautiful thing about God's grace. It's not ever too late. He's always the God of the second chance. You know, uh, Abram, this wonderful guy that ended up doing all these amazing things. You know what? He got sidetracked too at one stage. Just after he'd got the glorious promise from God in chapter 12 about, you know, offspring us like stars in the heavens and all of that sort of stuff. When he got that word, it, it was later in the same chapter. It says he went through a dry spell, a negative spell. And in that time, he decided to go down to Egypt. He felt pressured to make a decision. So he goes down to Egypt. And friends, it was an utter disaster. He lost sight of the fact he was supposed to be going to Canaan. Once again, it was associated with a place of dryness, a time of dryness. But the difference between Terah and Abram was this. Abram didn't settle there. Abram came to his senses. And in chapter 14, it says, chapter 13, whatever it is. Yeah, chapter 13. It says that Abram went up out of Egypt. And friends, let me tell you something right now. One bad decision doesn't make a cancellation of a dream. My God keeps his dreams alive because he knows a little a revelation or a loving kindness or a bit of a uh, uh, word like this on a Sunday morning, suddenly something else can get ignited on inside of you. And whereas the devil might be whispering in your ear, accusing you and saying, well, it's too late now, you should have done it yesterday, now you've lost your chance. That's a load of rubbish. My God would say to you this morning, listen, I kept the whole thing alive. I've got it in blueprint. I tell you what, I've still got it waiting for you. He's still alive. And it says here, Abram went up out of Egypt and there he found the place where he was before he got diverted to Egypt. And you read it in your own time. And it says, and he looked and he found the original altar, his original place of communion and commission. And he returned to his original altar, that place of intimacy and surrender in the beginning. And there it says he inquired and prayed again unto his God. And I'll tell you what, Father visited him the second time. Friend, do you feel that you got sidetracked somewhere along the line or just settled where you are? Uh, you rediscover the original altar and you will rediscover the original commission and promise. And my Father will bring it to pass. Why? Because he's a covenant-keeping God. He keeps his promises. Maybe we could just bow our heads for a moment. I want to say this thing, I, just, I so want you to hear, hear in, deep in your spirit these next two moments. You have been called to something infinitely greater than reasonable. Haran is not your destiny. A land flowing with milk and honey is your destiny. Sufficiency is not your destiny. Destiny. Abundance is your destiny. A respectable amount of fruit is not your destiny. 
A full harvest is your destiny. The taking of a city is not even your destiny. The conquest of the world is your destiny. Re-embrace the original altar. Then re-embrace the original promise. It's resurrection time. And I wonder across this auditorium right now if God has been speaking to some of you. And what he's saying to you is, I'm not judging you whether you've gone to Egypt, Haran, or just having a bit of a break when it's been a bit too long having your break. Your little time of settling is over. I need you to be going to possess the future promise now. And if you feel God is saying that to you, and you are saying in your heart of hearts, you count me in. Hi, <laughs> I'm not settling here. I don't matter how good it is. I don't care how much you've already done, Father. I'm not settling for where I am now. There's too much more to see. There's too much more to realize. If you're saying an amen, then just stand to your feet right now where you are and say, Father, count me in. I'm moving on. I'm getting, I'm going to get very intentional about pursuing the ultimate goal, the ultimate potential, the ultimate of your promise. What an incredible sight. Father, I pray for those that have stood right now in your presence and, Father, uh, if I am overwhelmed by such a response, then, then you must be rejoicing. And Father, I pray that every demon of hell in Auckland and New Zealand, the globe, will register that this people, this people still have a conquest-minded heart. This people have a kingdom-minded mentality. This people are a faith people. This people, Lord, are driven by a sense of commission and purpose. And Father, we pray right now that the power of any past disappointment or discouragement be absolutely cancelled in the name of Jesus. And Father, my God, that new hope, new faith, new courage, new resolve will rise up in every heart. And my God, they're going to go out of this place with an anticipation and an expectation, my God, for everything that you put in their heart. And we thank you, Father, for it. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.